This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, Ira here. A lot of you have said, hey, Ira, we like the podcast, but sometimes we just want to listen to one story at a time. And we hear you. So we're going to try something new, a topic or two a day spread out through Monday through Science Friday. Have a listen. What happened when scientists and artists were paired together to make art at a scientific HIV conference? When I was creating this piece, I wanted to make it more personal. Despite every benefit we get from the free medication, we still get rejection. It's Wednesday, October 11th, and today, just like every day, is Science Friday. I'm sci-fi producer D. Peter Schmidt. This past July, the 12th International Conference on HIV Science was held in Brisbane, Australia. But this wasn't your typical conference. Yes, findings were presented on the latest in HIV research, but it culminated in a museum exhibition. 12 HIV-positive artists were paired with 12 scientists to create art largely based on the scientists' research. I spoke to one of those pairs about their work and their hopes for future HIV research. And just a heads up for parents listening with kids, we'll be talking about anatomy and adult topics in this conversation. In the HIV Science as Art exhibit at Brisbane's Metro Arts, you could find pieces about breastfeeding, STIs, and exploring a possible cure for the virus. And one of them, titled Untransmittable, was the product of two conference attendees, and they're with me today. Kairon Liu is an artist, curator, and photographer. He's based in Taipei, Taiwan. And Kane Race is a professor of gender and cultural studies at the University of Sydney. He's also the author of the book, The Gay Science, Intimate Experiments with the Problem of HIV. He's joining us from San Francisco, California. Welcome to Science Friday. Hi. Thanks very much, Steve. So, Karen, you're an HIV-positive visual artist. How did you approach this collaboration? So, basically, we both met through this experience, I mean, through this project. And we didn't really have an initial idea what kind of artwork that we are going to produce. It was until that I learned what kind of research that Ken is going to present at the conference. Then we start several um, talk section, I mean, discussion online. And then in the end, we decided to create a sculpture or artwork can tell people this is how HIV positive individuals live nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, Kane, you studied the social impacts of HIV and the politics of public health messaging. How did your research contribute to this piece? So I guess my paper was really, and what Kyron and I discussed, was how the turn towards these biomedical solutions to HIV transmission and HIV prevention, how appealing that is for authorities, because it seems to promise that you don't need to talk about some of the complexities of of sex, of sexual relations, of gendered relations. But actually, it's not quite as simple as the magic bullet (laughs) that is kind of held out in this vision. And 
This is because, you know, HIV is still a highly stigmatised disease. Um, it's often thought about as a moral verdict on the kind of person you are. And in a lot of parts of the world, a lot of people who might consider themselves to be at risk will still avoid HIV testing because the social consequences of being HIV positive are, are just too horrible to think about. And how has the landscape around this changed over the years as you've been studying it? So really over the last decade, there have been really significant changes in how local and global agencies expect to achieve a reduction in HIV transmission around the world, whereas previously it mainly relied on sex education, on promoting condoms. More recently, the antiretroviral medications that people use to treat people living with HIV, it's been found in large clinical trials that if a person's on successful treatment and if their viral load is at an undetectable level, then there's really no possibility of them passing on the virus sexually. So this has been taken up with a lot of enthusiasm over the last decade. And now HIV prevention is really organised around getting people with HIV onto treatment, getting them to achieve undetectable viral load, which requires adhering quite strictly to daily dosing with antiretroviral medication. And in the case of HIV negative people at risk, they will access PrEP, which is also <laughs> the same sorts of drugs, but taken by people who are negative in order to prevent them getting infected. Mm. Right. So Australia has this public health messaging campaign. Other countries have it too. It's called undetectable equals untransmittable. It's the idea that like, if you keep up with your medication and regular testing, you'll have like an undetectable load of the virus and you won't be able to transmit it to someone else. They've been pushing it really hard, but you say it's not really accessible to everyone. Is that right? That's absolutely right. I mean, I think that there are obviously various reasons that people might avoid HIV testing. But in a place like Australia, for example, where we have very strict immigration regulations, it's very hard to become a permanent resident if you're HIV positive. So people who might be in Australia, for example, on student visas or on working holiday visas, they're probably more likely not to test because they might be scared of being deported if they're found to be HIV positive. So this whole idea of who are the populations at risk, how do we encourage them to test, is really intimately connected to lots of other bigger laws and policies, including immigration law, but also, you know, laws that might criminalise sex workers, might criminalise gay sex, might criminalise possession of drugs. These all have an impact on who comes forward to access these really successful, really effective treatment and prevention medications. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of discussion I think that Chiron and I were having. And I have to say, I have so much admiration for Chiron in terms of just producing such a visually and emotionally arresting artwork out of, out of this very wide-ranging conversation that we had about HIV policy around the world. Yeah, so let's talk about that artwork. It's a transparent, penis-shaped sculpture with like thousands of different colored pills inside Kyron, I'd love to hear more about it. Okay, so 
me as a visual artist and a person who have been living with a virus for years, I want to create a sculpture that use a real antivirus medication as a narrative to tell people that this is what we have to take in order to turn the viral law in our body to be undetectable, to normalize ourselves, to be more like general people. So for the audience, they will see a penis shade transparent shell, which is a shade of my own body part. <laughs> it's like 60 centimeter high. It's like what you can see in a convenience store with a candy bar. I don't know. It's like, yeah. Like a lollipop dispenser or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can see plenty of colorful medication in there. There are thousands of antivirus pills. From the oldest, you can see 3TC, which is has been created from the 80s. And the most used one, like Trovada, uh, which is a small blue pill people use for prep. And to see through this uh, sculpture, you can basically see the history of medication used for HIV. I also want to make it more personal and more closely to how this viral can transmit to one person to another. So, Kyron, you made this in your studio in Taiwan, the sculpture. And I understand you weren't actually able to get it into the exhibition in Brisbane. What, what happened there? So, <laughs> originally, the piece is supposed to be a sculpture only. And obviously, you can see through the picture and on social media, what we present at Brisbane was a photography piece because of the uh, border control law reason. We couldn't really import the piece into the country because it's a real medication there. But all of the medication we use in the sculpture are actually aspired. And once we settle the idea that we're going to make an artwork by the real medication, some of my friends immediately warned me that, you know, you might have some trouble to ship the artwork in the country. But anyway, I did fully sell the sculpture. That means you won't be able to take the medication out of the, uh, the sculpture. So we still didn't manage to bring uh, the sculpture in the country. And that's why uh, we decided to create another photograph piece, which is a piece that you can see me being naked holding the sculpture and trying to um, deliver my relationship with this part of my body mm -hmm. and this part of my identity and the fact that I have to take this medication to purify my blood. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful photo of your arm wrapped around it. And that's what ended up being displayed at the exhibition was that photo uh, with a description of the import problem. Kane, I'd love to hear your thoughts when you heard what Kyron's idea was. When, when Kyron told me, oh, he's making this big sculpture of a penis full of antiretroviral therapy, I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> but of course, I should have thought, how is he going to get this into Australia? Because I know what our border control is like. But actually, the story of not being able to get the actual sculpture into Australia, it, it does make you sort of think about how the circulation of these life-saving medications is very much impacted by you know, national laws by patents that are very fiercely defended by pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, in an ideal world, these medical commodities would be easily and freely accessible to everyone who needs them. But of course, that's, that's really not the case. Mm -hmm. And so those sort of meanings became quite pertinent, I think, 
in the context of this whole story of not getting the sculpture into Brisbane. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, obviously, there's been so much art and conversation with HIV AIDS over four decades. And Chiron, how do you feel like this piece and the others in the exhibition, how do you feel like this piece fits into that canon, that history of HIV art? That's a really big question. <laughs> um, first of all, I think the exhibition is pretty phenomenal. You can see the artwork to talk about breastfeeding. You can see the artwork talk about identity. Also sex. Yeah, also sex. Yeah, so it really presented the diverse issue of this disease. And people have produced HIV AIDS related artwork and activism since the 80s because we were trying to use art as a way to fight for our right to get the medication to the pharmaceutical company or to the authority. And after the 80s, we are really grateful now that we have cocktail treatment to be able to stay alive physically. But just like we discussed before, HIV is not just a illness issue, it's also a social issue. A lot of people are still suffering from prejudice, stigma, or like their country actually have the law against HIV positive individuals. I think some of the states in America still have the HIV criminalization law, and my country still have that as well. So I think the current HIV related to art is actually much more focused on the basic human rights. What can we solve after we got this treatment? Which direction we should move before we find a true cure? Or can HIV become a reference to other virus transmitted disease in the future? Because we all know there will be new virus, new pandemic in the future. COVID is for mm -hmm. one instant. You can see how people get nervous and scared to other people and to start to split as a different group, as a different tribe in our community. Does mm -hmm. that make any sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Kane, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Well, this, this slogan, you equals you, undetectable equals untransmittable, is being promoted around the world. And part of its appeal is that it sounds really simple, mm -hmm. but actually it involves the daily practice of medication taking, which can be more or less fraught depending on how you feel about your HIV status, your sexuality and so on. It involves regular engagement with doctors who may or may not be accepting of the kind of person you are. So just to make that labor visible, I think is one of the really important contributions that art makes. Yeah, well, on that note, I know there's like so much labor and so much love that went into this piece and the other pieces at the exhibition. What do you hope people take away from your piece? And Kyron, we can start with you. Personally, despite every benefit we get from the free medication and the U equal U, we still get rejection by the others by your family, by your potential lover, by even you yourself. Mm. And this disease is a one-way trip to remind you that you will not be able to go back to your old self. So the current reality is that we have to take this pill to purify ourselves and also try to find a way to embrace this new version of ourselves. But it has also been really tricky that every day when you swallow the pill, you will know this is something that you have to take to be a normal person. Otherwise, your doctor will say, okay, your lab number is not okay. And it's like your whole identity is being identified to the net lab number and this material that you keep swallowing. So 
I guess a really giant message that I want to present to the viewer, especially to the scientists, is that our community is still waiting for cure. I, as a positive individual, are still waiting for cure. Because a lot of people will assume that now we have this really good medication and a lot of people say they suffer zero side effect. Maybe we can stop here. There's no reason to invest more resource to continue the research of cure because we all know that costs a lot. But a lot of us are still actually waiting for that. And I want to keep the scientists who are still working on that a cheers. And I also work as a researcher and social worker. So I interview a lot of positive individuals. And a lot of people are actually suffering, suffer from long-term side effects, which is undocumented from the prescription or from your doctor. Let's say you somehow have some lymphoma after you start a medication or you suffer some other like liver situation, blah, blah, blah. It's super complicated. And these are all undocumented. It's not in the official research. And when you bring this problem and issue to your doctor, they will just say, you know, that's the current reality now. And I really hope our focus and development of the scientist part won't stop here. You're listening to Science Friday from WNYC. I'm Terrence McKnight. Join me for a new season of the podcast where people tell stories about the classical music that shaped their lives. I'm Tom Hiddleston. My name is Natalie Joachim. I'm Marin Alsop, and you're listening to The Open Ears Project. You're going to meet some incredible people and maybe, like them, fall in love with a piece of music. The Open Ears Project. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Studios. So I, I guess one of the take-home messages from my perspective is we've made incredibly huge advances in HIV treatment and in HIV prevention over the last decade. It's now perfectly possible with access to medications for a person living with HIV to live a life as long as a person without HIV. And not only that, to not pass on the virus sexually, even if condoms aren't used. So that's a pretty significant development. But I think one take-home message is really that the HIV epidemic will not be ended through medicine alone, that the struggle for sexual justice, for the acceptance of people with various different sexualities, various different gender identities and self-expressions, and also racial justice, particularly in places like the USA, are just as important as they were 40 years ago when this devastating epidemic commenced. Well, Kyron and Kane, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about this. It was, it was really special. Thank you so much. Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> thank you, Dee. I enjoyed the talk. That was artist Kyron Liu and Professor Kane Race, Professor of Gender and Cultural Studies at the University of Sydney. And if you want to learn more about the art from the exhibition, head to sciencefriday.com slash HIV art. That's it for today. Lots of folks helped make the show, including Nahima Ahmed, Emma Gomez, Annie Nero, George Harper, and many more. On Thursday, we dive into the Mississippi River's saltwater issue and how Kenya's geothermal boom could help power Africa. I'm Dee Peter Schmidt. Thanks for listening. We'll see you Thursday on Science Friday.
At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.